0: Hello and welcome to the Power and the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cadd. How are you, Caddy?
1: Hey, Winnow. How are you? Just enduring another lockdown here in Melbourne as we head into the Beautiful, <laughs> into isn't winter. it, mate? It's beautiful. Oh, It's just, just fantastic. But what it does, what it has done is allowed us to uh, really enjoy some of the playoff basketball because there hasn't been really anything else that we're allowed to do. So we've been able to yeah be able to sit down and, and watch uh, quite a few of these games over the last
0: two or three days. That is the one advantage of of the lockdown mode is we have been able to consume quite a bit of basketball, which has been the one upside, as I said. So we'll just uh, run through the eight playoff series as we did last week and give give an update, obviously, on how each series is going and what we've seen from it, and you know maybe some of the surprises that uh, that we've seen out of each series. So we'll, we'll kick it off as we did last week with the West, and we'll start with the uh, the one v eight. So the Utah. Jazz versus the Memphis Grizzlies. Now Utah won today, so they have now taken a 2-1 uh, series lead. But I'll, I'll run through what's uh, happened so far. So in game one, uh, Memphis came out and, and shocked everybody. I would have thought it was probably a shock to most people anyway. They won 112-109. to 109. The, con- the key contributors for for Memphis were Ja Moran, who had 26-4-4, four and, four, and Dylan Brooks, who continued his really uh, good form. He had 31 points and 7 rebounds. And for the Jazz, we had Mike Conley with 21 points and 11 assists, and Bogdanovich had 29 points. Now, probably the biggest story out of game one was the controversy surrounding Donovan Mitchell. He was very keen to play, and he'd been cleared by his trainers and, and his medical staff, but the Utah Jazz uh, medical staff stepped in and, and didn't allow him to play, and there was obviously a bit of animosity from from Mitchell towards the Utah Jazz about that. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very strange situation, isn't it, Caddy? If we sort of equate it back to the sport that we see over here, that AFL, you'd never have a star player having his own medical, class, uh, uh, medical staff clear him and then the team denying that. It's a bit of an unusual situation, isn't
1: it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over here, you know, the team really controls everything and, and the doctors and, and medical staff is, you know, are working in total alignment. We're obviously, in the NBA, there's so many more resources and particularly, you know, the star players that are running their own staff essentially as well. You know, it's going to sometimes be a differing of it, of opinion. And I suppose there was some feedback even, you know, just, late in the season about the severity of Mitchell's injury and, and, and why he hadn't come back even to the end of the regular season. So it probably wasn't a huge surprise that he, he did miss um, game one uh, just because there was a bit, of, a bit of confusion about how fit he actually was. But, you know, when he comes out and says he's ready to go, if I was that team, he'd be, you know, really trying to take that player's opinion on board and, and really work with him to try and get him out on the court rather than sort of shutting him down. So, look, he... They've been able to fight their way back in the series, so it hasn't cost them too much, but it definitely gave all that momentum that um, Memphis had through the play, and it really continued into that game one with Mitchell sitting on the sideline.
0: Yeah, and I think what was even more unusual was the fact that he apparently went through shoot-around. Uh, he wasn't on the injury report. Each team is is required to put out an injury report of some of the guys who were, who were either going to miss or who who were likely to miss who who were even a chance to miss, and he was he was absent on that, so it made it even more unusual, and I think all the Jazz Uh, All his Jazz teammates were really surprised to find out that he was not playing, so if that was a bit of a disruption or not, it's really hard to tell, Um, but yeah, Memphis came out and won that first game, it was announced the day after that game that he was going to play game two, so he was obviously very close to playing. In game one, so he, he come out in game two and had 25 points in 25 minutes and helped Utah uh, to a 141-129 uh, victory. Mike Conley was also very good in game two, having 20 points and, and 15 assists, and Rudy Gobert chipped in with 21 points, 13 rebounds, and four blocks. Uh, ja Morant was outstanding for Memphis with 47 points, four rebounds, and seven assists, and Dylan Brooks continued. He's really good form with 23 points. Uh, on 10, 10 from 14 from the field. And then we had Game 3, which was today. Caddy and Utah took the 2-1 lead, as I mentioned earlier. that They won 121 to 111. Now, the game actually got pretty close. It was within a point with three minutes to go, and Donovan Mitchell hit a big three, and uh, Memphis closed on a 14-2 run to take the, to take the win. Mitchell continued uh, his good form, as we've seen the last two games, with 29 points. Mike Conley was excellent, again, with 27 points, six rebounds and eight assists. And Ja Morant continued his really good form as well with 28 points and seven assists, and Dylan Brooks had 27 points. So what have you seen so far out of this series, Caddy? Do you think uh, the first game there where Memphis were able to get across the line was a bit of a mirage or just the fact that Utah were maybe a little bit upset or thrown off kilter by that late Donovan Mitchell out, or do you think they have some sort of chance of, of extending the series out?
1: Oh look! I think it was fantastic to see them come out of the blocks and and really compete in that first game. And we spoke about it last week around, you know, probably having that bit of an advantage of having a couple of uh, meaningful games there through the the and while Utah had to sort of sit there as a, a bit of a lame duck, really, waiting to see who their matchup was. So. All the momentum, as we mentioned, was with Memphis going in, and the Mitchell circumstances um, compounded that as well. But it, look, you know they they were able to get that win in Utah, which we, as we know, is a bloody hard place to win. So all credit to that young Memphis side. And then I think their game today, albeit they they did go down at the end, they were fantastic and really competitive. They fought back from a, a double digit deficit. Uh, through the third quarter and, you know, hit the front there in the last quarter. But then in the end, it was probably just a couple of bad shots and they tried to overdo it a little bit, particularly Dylan Brooks and John Moran down the stretch. And it just shows the experience of the Utah team and the the defence, particularly with Rudy Gobert in the middle. It's so hard to to score again. So when you ask about, you know, whether they're potentially able to extend this series, I don't think they're going to be able to, you know, extend it too far in this particular series. But I think the signs there for Memphis are so exciting and, and, you know, really their owners and management should be really enthusiastic about this particular group and, and what it means for the future. So they're obviously just getting absolutely um, incredible numbers out of John Moran through his first three playoff games. Um, he's averaging the 33 points a game and also the six assists, which is, is on um, no, really re- almost record territory for a young player to come in, in their first three playoff games is in a, in a group with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain and George Mike who are the only players that have scored 100-plus points in their first three playoff games. Not so, bad company to be in, is it? Pretty rare company there. And I think if you extend it out over six games, that's where, you know, you get the Michael Jordans and these guys come in here I think a sixty-one point game in one of his first six playoff games in that uh, that playoff game against Boston many years back. So he's in really good company in, in that particular group, and he's um, you know really led by example. He's so exciting to watch, and it's been great getting getting some prime time um, slot in here, particularly in today's game would have been the, the feature game over in America with that uh, particular time slot. So it's awesome to seeing him in action, and and Dylan Brooks has come to the party too with his um with his scoring punch. And you, you mentioned him as a bit of an X factor going into the playoffs and whether he could lift his, um, you know, I question whether he could lift his efficiency in particular. And he would be able to do that shooting shoot him 53% from the field here for 27 points a game. I thought he did just push it a little bit with um, a couple of probably rush shots just down the stretch in this one today. But a couple of more he were He's trying to do that in. a
0: bit, isn't he, Dylan Brooks? He's got the confidence levels of a superstar, which he quite isn't. But, yeah, he can overdo it at times, which can cost his team.
1: And he didn't look out of place on the stage either. He you know, really stepped up. He was physical. He was um, he was quite vocal out of the court as well. So really enjoying the, the moment. And they had great support, particularly in today's game by Grayson Allen. He was fantastic as well. He, I think it was 17 points and, and um, got some really big plays. And, and he was another guy that was really generating a lot of passion and enthusiasm um, for that home Memphis crowd today.
0: Yeah, he was. He was a five of eight from three. So that's massive when you can get someone coming off the bench and, and shooting like that. They you you mentioned how good Conley and Brooks have been, and there's no doubt about that. Morant's just uh, such a such a great player. Sorry, Morant and Brooks. Uh, Morant's such a great player to watch. So explosive. We see we see him three down a three sixty dunk on a breakaway. Uh, he could have just laid it in, but wanted to give the crowd a bit of a uh, bit of sauce to it, Caddy. What they do need, though, if they're going to make anything out of this series. And, you know, you've got to tip your cat to them that that they're they're playing against the best team uh, through the regular season. And and it's become a bit of a battle. But Jaron Jackson Jr. has been a little bit disappointing, hasn't he? And it's probably understandable given that he only played a couple of games leading into the playoffs. He's only averaging the 10.6 points a game and the five rebounds only shooting 32% from the field. So they really need somebody to be able to step up behind uh, Morant and Brooks who have both come to the party. And if Jackson can ma- maybe find his range, his three-point shooting's you know, a bit of a barometer for this team. Certainly last year um, and, and in his first couple of seasons, he's one of those stretch bigs that can, that can catch fire from, from three. And if they can get another guy uh, being able to do that and stretch the defense out of Utah, m- maybe they can make this a bit of an interesting series.
1: Yeah, it's just the depth of Utah. Like you, you saw in today's game, like they were just, particularly in that first half, the three point shot was just going in all over the place. Partic- you got a um, really good service. Obviously, Mike Conley today was was shooting the ball beautifully. And then you, you go down the list, and it was Royce O'Neill who came in and hit three or four three-pointers today. You know, Joe Ingles hit one. He was a bit off, in, to be honest, in, in today's game, but obviously can hit the three-ball. Bogdanovich, and then also Mitchell and Clarkson. So the, those had a really ter- terrific uh, spread of scoring, and particularly from the three-point line, you were really having to pick their poison. And the amount of space some of these guys got for open looks, you know, was just too easy in the end for Utah. And they were knocking down the shots. And as we said all along, you know, having Rudy Gobert there in the paint, been out of crash and bash, I think he yeah, had the four blocks today. So pivotal in, in terms of, um, you know, just adjusting, you know, the opposition shots, particularly when they come driving into the lane.
0: Yeah, and you've also got Derek Favors coming off the bench oh. in 12 minute, minutes blocking the, the, the two shots as well. So as you said, there they've always got that paint presence and it is, you know, a fearful place for, for the opposition guards to drive into. You've got to tip your cap to Mike Conley, who has, who has had an outstanding series with the 23 points a game, five rebounds and 11 assists. So if you're expecting Utah, and I think we both do, expect Utah to advance through this series, whether it's going to be in you know five or six games, you would think it's going to be one of the two. What have you seen so far from Utah? Has has it sort of has it raised any questions or doubts for you about the how deep they can go in the playoffs, or has what you've seen from them sort of you think okay now they're a legitimate title threat?
1: I'll, I'm probably not quite there with them in terms of being the legitimate title threat. You probably would have hoped they could have got through this series. You know, even a little bit easier. Then obviously they're going to have to do this of you know, losing that first game, and then you know having a really tough uh, game again today. So if they're fair, they should be able to come out and take care of business now in the next two games and win win away again in Memphis, and then go go home and 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 take care of um, the four-one series win. But you know, if Memphis can jag another game, and you know, then have to obviously go back to Utah and force them to come back have a game 6 at Memphis then you know that's going to be hard work for Utah it's going to be a tougher series than they probably would have liked being the number 1 seed but i think they you know the the way that the playoff seedings have fallen i think they're going to be still a significant uh chance obviously to get through this series and then and then make it through um you know through round 2 and into the western conference finals but when they get to there then it's you know going to be match up dependent but i think you know, I've liked what I've seen from I think Mitchell's at least been able to come back and show that he's he's in really good condition. He's only playing the twenty seven minutes a game in the two games he's played and scored twenty seven points. That's really good efficiency in terms of, you know, time on court there and he's looking um he hasn't looked too hindered by that injury. The you know the games are getting out of Mike Connolly, I think you know an absolute added bonus to to even what I'm sure they would have hoped to get. And then the, you know there's probably some improvement to come out of guys like Joe Ingalls, Jordan Clarkson didn't shoot the ball that well today. He's got some improvement to come. And, and even Bogdanovich has probably got some bigger games left in him. So I think going forward, I think they're still in really good shape, and, and they're going to be a hard out whoever whoever's going to have to go past them in this Western Conference.
0: Yeah, so they'll they'll either get the winner of the Clippers or Dallas series, which we'll obviously touch on a bit later. So it's not gonna be an easy second round series. As you said there, Mitchell's starting to round himself in form, understandably so they've been conservative with him minutes with his minutes. But if he can get back to the top of his game, which he was showing post all star break, and these shooters can continue to knock down these threes. You mentioned Royce O'Neill, the four for seven today, Bogdanovich two from three. Uh Conley seven out of ten. Ingles only the one from f- one out of four. You'd you'd expect him to shoot better than that. And if Gobert can continue to man the paint as he has, it they're certainly as said, they're gonna be a tough out, whether it is either Dallas or, or the Clippers that they do come up against. So hopefully for their sake they can wrap this series up in the next couple of games, uh maybe get some rest. We don't know how long the, the that Clippers Dallas series is gonna go. And then they can, you know, Donovan Mitchell can be nice and fresh going fresh going into that second round series. So we'll now move on to the to the 2v7 uh, matchup, which is the Phoenix Suns versus the Lakers. Now the Lakers have a 2-1 lead. Uh, so we saw in Game 1 the Phoenix Suns come out and won, and I, I think I said to you last week that it was an absolute must-win uh, Game 1 for the Phoenix Suns, and they were able to pull that out 99-90. Uh, Devin Booker was fantastic in Game 1. He had 34 points, 7 rebounds and 8 assists. Uh, DeAndre Ayton had 21 points and 16 rebounds and shot an incredible 10 from 11 from the field. The two stars from, from the Lakers struggled in, in Game 1, and that was obviously the reason that, that they didn't get across the line. Now, LeBron had 18.7 rebounds and 10 assists, which for, for most mortals would be a, re- a very, very solid outing. But for LeBron, we obviously know that's that's well under what he can uh, contribute. And Anthony Davis was only 13 points and 7 rebounds and shot 5 of 16 from the field. But obviously the big news coming out of Game 1 was, was a shoulder injury to Chris Paul. Uh, we saw him he actually collided, I think, with one of his own teammates. And he was just been really hindered in the series uh th- since then. He's he's certainly carrying that shoulder. He hasn't got the, the zip on his passes you'd expect. He hasn't shot in a three-pointer since uh, the first quarter of the series, which is which is when he did that injury. So it's just been a massive slice of bad luck for Chris Paul. And it's something that we've seen, unfortunately, for for Paul right throughout his his career are some of these these injuries and these nicks that he's had right throughout the playoffs. And it's and you go back to the days he was at the Clippers. Uh, he, he injured his hamstring, I think, against the San, San Antonio Spurs in game seven, but still hit the game winner. But then was, I don't know if he missed the next series, but we were certainly hampered. And then he got injured as well in his time at Houston. It's just, and this isn't even a soft tissue injury. So you can, you know, he's, you, Sometimes you can get that label if you continue to get injured that you're just injury-prone, but this is this is just total bad luck for Chris Paul to, to to suffer a shoulder injury like this. So you've got to feel sorry for Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns. They had the bad luck of being the number two seed and drawing the defending champion Lakers, and now they've got this injury to their most experienced playoff performer and somebody who really makes them tick. So we saw going into game two, Chris Paul did continue to play, but as I said, he was clearly hampered, and the Lakers come away with a 109 to 102. Uh, when Anthony Davis was outstanding, he bounced back from that subpar game one. He had the 34 points, 10 rebounds, seven assists, and three blocks. Importantly, he was 18 from 21 from the free throw line, so was obviously uh, drawing a lot of fouls from the Phoenix Suns. LeBron also bounced back with the 23 points, four rebounds, and nine assists. De- Devin Booker was very good with 31 points, but only seven of 17 from the field. DeAndre Ayton was outstanding again with the 22 points and 10 rebounds. Uh, and Chris Paul, we could see there, he only played the 22 minutes and had the six points and five assists. Uh, and in the game three, the pivotal game three caddy, as they like to say, when the when the series is locked up at one all, uh, the Lakers come away with a 109-95 win. Anthony Davis was outstanding again, the 34 points, 11 rebounds, hit 12 or 14 free throws. Once again, uh, importantly, getting to the free throw line. And LeBron had the 21 points, six rebounds and nine assists. Uh, for the Phoenix Suns, Aiton continued his really good uh, start to the playoffs with 22 points and 11 rebounds, 11 of 15 from the field. Uh, and Devin Booker really struggled. He he had the 19 points and 6 assists, but he was only 6 of 19 from the field and was ejected late, probably showing a bit of frustration. Um, and Chris Paul held to the to the 7 points and 6 assists. So I think the biggest question, Caddy, coming out of the of the first uh, three games is are uh, Phoenix absolutely any chance of winning this series if, if you've got a less than 100% fit Chris Paul?
1: I think that's, you know, what we've probably discussed, you know, all year really is, you know, can he stay on the floor? And he's such a difference maker for them, obviously. And it, look, he it just looked a shadow of himself, particularly in that game three. He just couldn't get any drive out of that shoulder. And um, it's really concerning. I think if Phoenix were to, to win the series, they probably had to, you know, at least hold serve at home and win those first two games because now I think the writing's on the wall. You've got a an afternoon game there in LA uh, tomorrow. And you know, I'd expect the Lakers to win that and take a three-one lead, and then it's going to be how resilient can these Phoenix Suns be to dig in deep when they get back to Phoenix and try and push the push the series, you know, out further again back to LA for a Game Six. I look, they're they're, they're going to be up against it. I, I, you know, I've got that feeling just watching, you know, the the way the game finished yesterday, or sorry, the day before, when the Lakers were able just to, you know, put the foot down and, and you know LeBron started feeling feeling himself and, and Davis as well, so. Um, I think they've probably found enough confidence in this series. They've had, you know, terrific support out of Dennis Schroeder in particular. He's really stepped up to the plate through this playoff series and you know, as we spoke about that big man rotation starting to, to shake itself out. They've found some minutes for Marcus Ole. Uh, Drummond's got the twenty one minutes a game as well. So, you know, they're able to throw plenty of bodies and you know, the guy that really has been has shown us what a superstar player is going to be in the future. is DeAndre Ayton. He's the guy we sort of asked to to see something from here, particularly on the offensive end. And he, and he certainly has delivered his, you've mentioned his field goal percentage through those first three games it was almost record breaking. And, you know, he's been a real focal point for, for Phoenix and it, it's, quite scary to think of, you know, if this trajectory for him continues along, you know, they're going to be very well placed. Not not unlike Memphis uh, that we spoke about to have two really young superstars in, in Booker and Aiton going forward. And then, you know, I think the biggest problem they've got now is that injury to Paul. and I think it's going to probably be a bridge too far to get back into the series.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. Unfortunately, it is. Yeah. I, I, as I said, I feel so sorry for Phoenix. They had an outstanding season after being out of the playoffs for so long. Drew the Lakers and then, and then Chris Paul gets injured. The only way... That they can get back into this series as some of these sort of second or th- third or fourth string players really start to step up. And Mikael Bridges is the one that, that I'm looking at. He averaged the 13.5 points during the season and shot 50 54% from the field. He's only averaging the 7.3 points a game and shooting 34% from the field. So they obviously ask a lot from him on the defensive end, but he's going to have to uh, step up and pick up some of this slack that, that they are missing uh, with this injury to Chris Paul. And you mentioned how good Dennis Schroeder's been with the 19 points a game at 55% from the field and Forty percent from the three. He was the one. It was the one question mark, wasn't it? Obviously, they've got uh, LeBron and Davis, two outstanding super, superstars. Who was going to be that third wheel to, to step up and step up to the plate and, and help these these two get the Lakers across the line? And I think there was probably some question marks about whether Schroeder could do that. His season had been pretty good, um, but that, they were obviously really really keen to see how he would go in these playoffs before they handed him out a uh, big contract that he's after because he's a free agent in the offseason. And I think if he continues on this path and the Lakers make a deep playoff run or obviously win the title, I think the Lakers will be keen to sign him up to, to, to a big contract because he's been really good from so far, hasn't he?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, they needed, as you said, some, some, some more support there for those those superstar players where, you know, there were some injury concerns heading into the playoffs and they, they needed to be probably propped up there early in the series and, and that's certainly what the Lakers have been able to find and some some genuine support there. And um yeah, it's it's allowed them to build their way in and, and not go down that two two zero rabbit hole that they could have gone down in Phoenix. And, you know, now you just feel that momentum shifted so far the other way. It's um you know, I feel like you know they're gonna probably comfortably take this series out, particular you know, potentially in five games.
0: Yeah, and he he could be even more important in the next series if they come up against a a Portland team. We've got Damon CJ, obviously two really good guards, so he's going to have to be on his game. So just quickly, what have you seen out of LeBron so far in this series? It's been a bit of a a strange series. We know LeBron likes to sort of have a – usually game one in in a series is a bit of a feel-out game for him, but he looks like he's having sort of feel-out halves in every game. He didn't really drive to – to the rack much uh, in that first half of Game 3, but then in, in the second half he was doing a little bit more. He's clearly, he's not 100%, I, I wouldn't have thought, because he's certainly not playing at the top of his game, but he's just sort of turning, turning it on in little fits and spurts to do enough to get across the line. I mean, if he plays in this manner, do you think the Lakers have enough to go all the way, do you think he needs to get back to being the LeBron James of old?
1: Well, I think eventually he will be as the as the playoffs continue, but you know, he's a smart guy. He knows his body so well. He knows the game so well, and and he can probably feel the times where he really does need to step up. And you know, at halftime in the game three, there you had guys. Um, the halftime it was Charles Barkley really questioning, you know, whether he was fit or healthy because of the way he was playing, and he was so passive particularly in that first half in game three. But then when the whips were cracking, they needed someone to sort of take over the game. And it was LeBron that came out in that third quarter and and really started, you know, delivering for them. And they won that quarter 23 to 33 in the third quarter in game three. And it was um, was straight after he'd been questioned. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's in there dunking as well. And, and, you know, really starting to show show Pony a little bit um, and really – Develop that confidence. And as I said, he was really feeling himself by the end of that game. And, you know, the turnovers have been a problem for him in this series. He had seven in in game three, but, look, he's so clever and smart, he's so meticulous. Um, and in understanding each, you know, facet of the game, he just knows when it's time to step up. And if he can get some some breathers and some reps there, where he, he can take a few possessions off, he's going to take them. Um, and he will take some games off if he needs to, you know, in terms of his effort. Um, even early in this playoffs, he's so the Lakers are so deep; they're, they're going to be potentially so good um, throughout and continue to improve. And I think, you know, he doesn't have to be at his absolute best just now. Um, but you know, by the time they get into the second, and then into the Western Conference Finals. Potentially, he's going to have to obviously bring his A game at that point. So he might have a couple of more weeks just to get his body right and get his confidence going in the right direction. And I think the Lakers have got enough to proceed through, particularly in this series, and then see who their opponent's going to be in the next one.
0: So you think they'll they'll win it out from here and get across the line in five? That's probably how I'm seeing it at the moment. Unless Chris Paul can make some sort of miraculous recovery and get back to at least eighty to ninety percent fit, I'd I'd see him winning the next two.
1: Yeah, I think look, I think they're an absolute moral tomorrow uh, to win game four, and then you know whether or not they can ho- whether they can you know, break serve again in Phoenix and, and close it out, or you know if they have to come back and win game six in LA um, is there to be seen. But um, yeah, I think they'll they'll win. Yeah, I'll, I'll say in six, I'll give Phoenix one more chance at home to um to try and push the series out.
0: So we'll move on now to the to the three v six series, which is the Denver Nuggets versus the Portland Trail Blazers. Now, after today's uh, win by Portland, that series is now tied. So we spoke about Game One last week, so we won't run through that. But Game Two, uh, Denver came out and made amends uh, for their Game One loss. They won. Uh, they won Game Two, one hundred twenty eight to one hundred nine, and Jokic was outstanding with thirty eight points, eight rebounds, and five assists. Porter Junior tri- uh, uh, chipped in with eighteen points. Uh, Aaron Gordon had the 13 points, and Campazo and Monte Morris both both had 12 points. So they got a bit of a, an even spread outside Nikola Jokic, which is what they need to be able to do for Denver to succeed in these playoffs. Uh, Dame was outstanding in Game 2 with the 42 points and 10 assists, and, and CJ McCollum chipped in with the 21 points. In Game 3, the pivotal Game 3 caddy, Denver came away with the win, 120-115. Uh, to 115. Jokic was outstanding again with 36 points, 11 rebounds, and 5 assists. And Austin Rivers stepped up to the plate, Caddy, with the 21 points, including 16 points in the last quarter, where he hit four or five from three. It was, a, it was an absolutely outstanding performance from Austin Rivers, a guy who wasn't even in the league a couple of months ago. He was sort of sitting out there. Any team could have had him, and, and the Denver Nuggets obviously have got a lot of injury to their guards, and, and he stepped into that starting role, and he he stepped up, stepped up to the plate big time and helped them get across the line in Game 3. Dame again, outstanding with the thirty-seven points and five assists, and, and C.J. McCollum had the twenty-two points and nine rebounds. And in today's game, uh, game four, we saw Portland uh, get across the line one-fifteen to uh, ninety-five to tie up the series uh, two-all, as I said. And it was a Norm Powell game. Now he had the twenty-nine points and eleven from fifteen from the field. This is something Norm Powell is prone to do. We've seen him do that with the Raptors every now and then, or he probably did it pretty regularly uh, this season with with the Raptors, but we've seen him do it in big playoff games with the Raptors in the past as well, and he had that big game today, and that was the reason, I think, that Portland got him across uh, in that before that trade deadline uh, when they gave up Gary Trent Jr., just because they knew Norm Powell had that playoff experience, and he could win him a playoff game at some stage, and he certainly did that today. Uh, CJ McCollum... Uh, remarkably consistent with the 21 points, 4 rebounds and 8 assists. And I think the biggest takeaway from this is the fact that Portland were able to get across the line when Dame Lillard had 10 points, 8 rebounds and 10 assists and shot only 1 from 10 from the field. So usually that's a a death knock for for Portland Trailblazers. If Dame Dame Lillard's shooting 10% from the field, they're generally going to have no chance of winning the game. But it was Norm Powell who stepped up for them. And uh, for the Denver Nuggets, it was a bit of a bloodbath for them. Everybody sort of struggled to put the ball in the basket. Even Nikola Jokic only had the 16 points, 9 rebounds, and the 1 assist. And Campazo had the 12 points and 7 assists. So obviously, Caddy, with this series tied at 2-all, it's been a bit of a back and forth. No team has been able to string together wins, uh, two wins in a row. How do you see this series shaping up at the moment? Do, do you think... Portland maybe have a little bit more firepower and a little bit more in reserve as we saw today with Norm Powell? Or do you think Jokic can continue to have what had been an outstanding series? Before today's game, he was was averaging the 36 points a game, 11.7 rebounds and the 3.7 assists. Do you think uh, Jokic is going to be good enough to carry Denver across the line for the remainder of this series? Or do you think Portland have too many reserves?
1: Well, I think he's going to have to be too good if Denver do want to win the series. I think he's you know, he's that important to them to, to be able to stand up. And I mean, this series is just so hard to get a, a read on because um, of the you know the fluctuating circumstances, almost within game games, depending on which night you're watching. So, you know, I think Portland have done well to you know get this game today. It looked like Denver may maybe recovered after that first uh, first game loss and had kind of found their groove. And we you know that extra guard depth and support that we you know, been screaming for. It happened a little bit there with Monte Morris um, playing well and then, you know, the, obviously the big Austin Rivers game and Capazzo had started to find his feet as well. But then obviously today happens and then you get the, the Norm Powell game that we, you know, probably anticipated would get it at some stage. But to be able to think he's, you know, shoot, shot the 11 from 15, the 29 points in a game, as you mentioned, where Damon Lillard was ice cold. So... They they've been able to show that they've got you know some some tricks up their sleeve as well, Portland. And it's really hard to kind of project out how this series is going to going to finish. I mean, you'd, you'd have to anticipate that it's going to go seven. Um, and but it just. There doesn't seem to be any predominant home court advantage. The, the series are swinging in any different direction. So yeah, really hard to get a gauge on it. You just think, you know, potentially with Nikola Jokic, home court advantage in the end, Denver will have. It may be too much for Portland, but you know, you can't really say it with any great confidence because you know that that lack of depth that Denver, you know, probably do have overall when the whips are cracking might become a problem. That, at some point, but at the moment, they've been able to win in games, get get a, a an increase of uh, performance out of one or two players. But you know, I just think Portland at this stage may have a few too many extra bananas that they can rely on game in game out potentially to to cause the upset in the series. But as you said. Nikola Jokic is going to have to be the man. He's going to have to sort of get out and, you know, put up these big monster 30-point nights pretty much every game from here. And, you know, even with the game he's had today, just the 16 points, he's still averaging 31 points across the four games of the series. So hugely important. You know, his minutes are quite interesting, just 32 minutes a game across the four games. So there's some still scope there. And I know, you know, they've a couple of the games have, have ended up, you know, like today's in a bit of a blowout. But... You know, it's such an interesting series. Very hard to get a, a read on it, and um, that's what we want to see in the playoffs. You know, you don't want to walk into these, you know, pretty straightforward playoff series and just know what's going to happen, um, you know, nine in, nine out, where it's this one. And, and it's changing at every turn, and it's really hard to project it.
0: Yeah, it is great, certainly when you do have series like this, when you're unsure where it's going to go. I think I mentioned earlier that no team had won two in a row. Obviously, that's wrong. Denver won game two and three. So, yeah, i it probably would be a little bit of an upset, I suppose, if Portland won from here, given the fact Denver have home court advantage. The, the two guys I'm looking at, if, if Denver are going to get across the line, are Michael Porter Jr., who, who had had an outstanding finish to the season. We, we saw his back after the season was, was really, really good since Jamal Murray went down with his injury. He really stepped up to the plate. Now, he only had the three points today. He's averaging now 15.2 points a game and 5.7 rebounds. He needs to be in the mid-20s realistically, which is what he was producing in that back half of the season. So we know he's more than capable of doing that. And also Aaron Gordon, who only had the six points today, so he's now averaging 12 points a game and the 5.5 rebounds. If he can get that up to at least sort of 18 or 19 a game, which we know he's capable of doing that, and we can get Jokic playing at the top of his game. You know, Denver can certainly uh, advance in this series, but it, it certainly does come down to the, the help that Jokic is going to get because we know what he's going to produce. Yes, he had a bit of a an off game today. You mentioned there that he's only averaging, we'll just say the 32 minutes a game. Well, he's going to have to get up in the 40s, isn't he, for, the, for these last sort of three games at least. And he's, he's capable of doing that because we've seen him do that in playoff series in the past. So I think they're the keys... Uh, for Denver to advance, Jokic to get his minutes up into the 40s for the remainder of the three games, and Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon really stepping up to the plate and and, and lifting their scoring average. Can you see uh, both Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon being capable of doing that, Caddy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Porter Jr. is the guy that probably has to really elevate his game. You know, that 15 points a game really needs to be 20 points a game in this series when we talk about, you know, that guard rotation depth that's going to be hit or miss um, night in, night out. I mean, Aaron Gordon's the guy that they brought in, you know, and, and, you know, to be fair, he probably wasn't brought in to be a hugely offensive force, but, you know, he's going to have to probably up up that 12 points a game slightly as well and, and take some of that pressure off Jokic. But, um, yeah, I think there's definitely capacity for both of those guys and, and probably Porter Jr. in particular, I think, can um, you know take a really sharp up, up swing in terms of what he's capable of, and you know there's every chance in, in one of these games he, he should be able to go off and, and have a big night, you know, and really support Nikola Jokic.
0: So can you see either Denver or Portland uh, troubling? Let, let's assume the Lakers win their series. So can you can you see Denver or Portland troubling the Lakers in, in the next round?
1: Um, oh, I think they'll they'll trouble them. I mean, any time you've got Nikola Jokic out there, it's going to be it's going to be you know a, a troubling matchup, and you know. But it, as you mentioned, of, of any any of the teams that are probably set up to do it, um, it could be the Lakers with their you know such a a deep big man department and that's where, you know, you talk about Marcus Ole. you know, getting some reps in in this series against Phoenix. He's going to have to probably play, you know, almost double those sort of minutes um, in, in spurts against Nikola Jokic. So they're going to be able to throw Drummond, they'll be able to throw Davis, they'll be able to throw Gazzal and Harrell at times at um, Nikola Jokic. So that, that's probably as tough a matchup he's going to get on the way through. So you'd probably still be favouring uh, the Lakers um in a series between Lakers and Denver just because of that, that big man support that they do have and the amount of fouls they can sort of hit him with. And then again just the depth of that Lakers roster even in the guard spot with guys like Caruso and KCP and um you know obviously Dennis Schroeder as well to hit at their inexperienced guard rotation.
0: Yeah I think it's turned out pretty well for the Lakers. They they've got an injured uh Chris Paul for the Phoenix series and I'd and I'd imagine that uh whoever they end up playing out of either uh, either of these two teams, uh, they'd be able to handle that, those guys pretty comfortably. So we'll move on to the next series, which is the 4-5 series, so the, the Clippers versus the Dallas uh, Dallas Mavericks. So we spoke about Game 1 last week, which saw Dallas win 113-103. So we were expecting a bounce-back effort from the Clippers, and, well, we didn't get it, did we? So da- Dallas won Game 2, 127-121, to 121, and Luka Doncic continued to just amaze us with what he's been able to do on the court. So he had the 39 points, 7 rebounds, and 7 assists, Tim Hardaway Jr. also continued his great form with twenty-eight points and five assists. And finally, Christoph Porzingis came to the party with the twenty points. Kawhi Leonard he was outstanding in Game Two. He had forty-one points, including thirty in the first half, where it looked like he was he was coming out to make a statement and to make sure that they came away with this win. But it still wasn't good enough. He ended with the forty-one points, six rebounds, and four assists. And Paul George had the twenty-eight points, twelve rebounds, and six assists. And then we saw Game Three yesterday, which was a little unusual. So the Clippers came away with the win in Dallas, 118-108. but they were actually down thirty to eleven in the first quarter and and Twitter was starting to light up. Everybody was casting their minds back to the bubble last year where we saw the clippers fold meekly and it looked like it was going to happen again and what's going to happen with Kawhi. They're going to trade Paul George. The earth was the earth was caving in. Caddy, Ty Lu was out of a job. What was Steve Barmer gonna do? It was Everything was coming to an end, but they, to their credit, they bounced back really strongly. Obviously, to come away with that win, and and Kawhi Leonard continued in his outstanding form with thirty six points, eight rebounds, and three assists. Uh, and Paul George again, uh, twenty nine points, seven rebounds, four assists. And Reggie Jackson, who was inserted into, into the starting lineup in place of Pat Beverly, who had been really ordinary in the first two games, and he only played the five minutes in Game Three. Uh, Reggie Jackson had the sixteen points and four assists. For the Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic, unbelievable again, 44 points, 9 rebounds, and 9 assists. And for the series, Doncic is averaging 38 points, 8.7 rebounds, and 9 assists, shooting 51-45, 48% from the free throw line, which obviously he's got to correct. You know, The longer this series goes, the more you'd hope he'd push that up to at least in the 70s. But he's been absolutely outstanding. So do you think it's as simple as this, Caddy? If Doncic can find somebody else to help him each game, whether it be Hardaway or... Or Porzingis, or whoever it may be, Dallas will come away with the series. But if nobody else uh, can help Luca, the Clippers will win the series. Do you think it's as simple as that? Oh, I think that's
1: probably slightly too simplistic. I mean, it obviously it looked that way in that in this game, where you know everything was going Dallas's way, and, and it looked like they were all you know, heating up particularly early in the game, and then it, it obviously fell apart uh, for the Mavericks um, down the stretch in, in this game. But look, I, I just wonder whether or not. You know, not being able to put them away in this game has given the Clippers a bit of a, a life that they may not have thought they were going to get because they looked dead and buried halfway through the first quarter, to be honest, in, in this game where Luca obviously came out absolutely um, killing them. Um hit two pretty much fadeaway three-pointers on, on Zubax and hit another one on Batum. And then um, I think it was Hardaway Jr. hit one or two threes as well early in the piece. And they were down nearly 20 points at the start of the game. And you you, you could have been... That would have been fair to just about expect that the Clippers were just going to give up at that point. and They look like they're on a hiding to nothing, you know, with a really vocal and enthusiastic Dallas crowd there. But to their credit, I think it was one of the most resilient wins, you know, I've seen in recent playoff time. Like they, they were dead and buried, and they were able to, you know, claw and scratch their way back into the game. And then, you know, the stars Leonard and George were able to take over um, later in the game. The guy I thought that was absolutely terrific in, in that game three that gave them. Real energy and a real bit of feistiness was uh, Terence Mann, who came off the bench and, you no, know, his, his stats don't jump off the page, but he was right in their face and gave away a couple of tech fouls and you know got really aggressive at times and you know his. He, he was, he was plus minus was uh, plus 18 in just the 19 minutes. So he was really able to come in and, and, and make a bit of a a bit of a change for them off the bench. But, um, you know... It's puzzling that he
0: wasn't... Sorry to cut you off. It's puzzling that he was hardly playing in those first couple of games, isn't it? Given the fact that he was in their rotation late in the season, he was probably playing around the 20 minutes a game. But he was just... He was just an afterthought in the first couple of games, and now he comes in and, and, as you said there, contributes. Yeah, his numbers don't jump off the page, but he gives gives you sort of what you need. He's one of those fill-in players behind the two stars. It seems to me like the Clippers are still trying to sort out what their best rotation is, and this deep into the season, that's not great.
1: Well, I think they've got, you know, some questions and we we touched on um, a few weeks ago about their guard rotation. Was it going to be Reggie Jackson? Was it going to be Pat Beverley? Rajon Rondo obviously came in, you know, during the trade period. So, you know, I think they're still, as we saw it, there was a lineup change to start this game. So I don't think they've um, completely settled on it. But, um, yeah, I think in the end, the way they were able to fight their way back in the game showed a a real character and and hardness that, you know, I didn't expect to see from them and, and it would have been quite easy for them to shrink into that um, particular atmosphere and, and you know, just almost give that game up. But um, to their credit, I think the series has really shifted probably back into their favour, to be honest. Luca looked like he might have even had a sore shoulder or sore neck at, at, during this game as well, which isn't ideal because the guys in behind in particular – Christopher in this game just didn't really show up. He was basically a statue standing there and not getting involved, uh, you know, for, for long stretches. Um, and they really need that that extra supporting player when, you know, Hardaway's not going up for the 20 points a game. that You know, it needed to be Zingas and it really, you know, didn't work out for either of them. And there was only so much Luca could do. And in the end, it just wasn't enough. And um, they've left the door, you know, well and surely ajar for the after Clippers to, to build some momentum into the rest of the series.
0: Yeah, Bozingis has been really disappointing, hasn't he? And, you know, we, we said, I think we said last week or the week before that he'd had probably a little bit of an underrated season, but he, he just hasn't he hasn't shown up so far. I said he had 20 points in game two, but that's about the only thing you can sort of say that he's done. He hasn't rebounded well. He hasn't, as you yeah, said, he's just just basically been a statue out there for, for the Mavs. I think that... I think similar to the story to the Dallas, I think the biggest question is outside the two stars at the Clippers, who can stand up for them? So Kawhi's having a, a great series of 34 points a game, eight rebounds and four assists, shooting 60, 44, 88 splits. And Paul George also at the 26 points a game, 8.3 rebounds and five assists, shooting 53%, only 23% from three. You'd obviously like him to to lift that up into the 40s, which he generally will do, and 100% from the free throw line. So you know that they made these changes in the off season. They bought in Sergio Barker, uh, Luke Kennard, Rondo uh, was obviously came in halfway through the season, and Nicholas Batum. Well, Barker didn't play the last game because the backing dream was giving him nothing before that, so he's obviously extremely hampered. Luke Kennard hasn't played a minute yet, and he they handed him that big contract, and he's obviously been a whether he's been a disappointment or whether Ty Lue hasn't given him much of an opportunity. That that's probably a, a debate that you could have. Uh, Rondo's giving probably what you'd expect out of Rondo, he's averaging 7 points a game and the 6.3 rebounds, Uh, sorry, the 6.3 assists, you probably can't expect too much more out of Rondo at this stage in his career, uh, and Nicholas Batum is, a- is averaging 9.3 points and 5.3 rebounds, shooting 55-41 splits, so not too bad, but these guys that they, they brought in, they- they're expected to lift the Clippers up to another level, but as those numbers would suggest that they're relying so heavily on Ka- Kawhi and PG they really need someone underneath these two to be able to stand up otherwise you know they could be out in the first round and they could, and we could see again all these headlines coming up about what happens Kawhi's you know Kawhi's going to be a free agent in the offseason we're hearing rumors about him maybe potentially going to New York or Miami so you know for the clippers sake they need somebody underneath these two stars to really stand up and, and get this series win for them yeah, well,
1: you know the headlines were pretty much written, and um, you know you could have picked any any one of ten or twenty different headlines that were going to be really negative towards the Clippers when they were getting belted in that first quarter because it looked like it was going to be the end of this particular iteration of the Clippers. They just looked like they're in such a hole, and they, you know to their credit, they were able to fight out of it. And um, you now the series is is absolutely alive, and you know you'd, you'd expect you'd, or you're going to want to see another fight back here in this uh, fourth game because yeah, even if they do lose in this game at Dallas, a 3-1 hole still, you know, they're going to need every ounce of character that they may have found in this game three, they're going to need it for the rest of the series and beyond.
0: So who are you tipping from here in this series? Do you think the Mavs can close it out or do you still like the Clippers from here?
1: Oh, look, I think the Clippers are a bit closer than where I would have had them, you know, obviously quarter time the other day, but so I think Dallas, if they can hold, hold here this uh, game four, go back to LA with a 3-1 lead, then I think that's going to be pretty tough for them to overcome. And I'll I'll preface it by saying, providing that Luka Doncic is 100% fit, because if he's anything short of it, um, then I just don't think they've got enough. But, you know, they can hold here at home, go back 3-1. It's going to be mightily hard for the Clippers to, to win the following three games.
0: Yeah, if they can win the next game, and and there is a question mark. I think he was listed as questionable with that injury, uh, Luka Doncic. If he's at obviously, there's no chance of winning the next game. I'll just stick with the Clippers in in seven, but it should be a a really, really interesting series from here. So we'll jump over into the east, and we probably don't need to spend too much time in this series, which is the one-seed Philadelphia 76ers versus the eight-seed Washington Wizards. Now, Philly have a a 3-0 lead. They won game one, 125 to 118, and Tobias Harris, was outstanding in Game 1 with 37 points and 6 rebounds. Joel Embiid had 30 points and 6 rebounds. And Ben Simmons had the unusual stat line caddy of 6 points, 15 rebounds and 15 assists. Uh, for the Washington Wizards, uh, Beal had 33 points, 10 rebounds and 6 assists. And Westbrook had 16, 5 and 14. Uh, game 2 was ve- uh, was a bigger win for the Philadelphia 76ers, 120 to 95. Simmons was really, really good in Game 2 with the 22 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. Uh, Joel Embiid had 22 and 7 and uh, Tobias Harris had 19 and 9. Uh, for the Wizards it was a similar story. Uh Beal had the 33 points, four rebounds and three assists and Westbrook was had an inefficient 10 points, six rebounds and 11 assists. And game 3 it was a big win uh, away in, in Washington for the Philadelphia 132-103 and Joel Embiid had his career high playoffs 36 points and eight rebounds. Uh, Tobias Harris continued his excellent form with 20 points 13 rebounds and 5 assists, and Ben Simmons had 14 points, 5 rebounds and 9 assists. Uh, Russell Westbrook, It was actually a big question mark about whether he was going to play Game 3 because of an ankle injury, but he had his best game in the series so far with 26 points, 12 rebounds and 10 assists, and Beal had 25, 6, and 3. Look, as I said, I don't think we need to spend too much time in this series. I'd, I'd be staggered if Philly don't sweep this series. I guess the biggest question mark out of this series so far is how good a Philly look for you, Caddy? Do, do you think this sort of Raises them up. Do you think you, you sort of don't have a higher opinion of them because they're playing a bit of a, a weaker opposition? Do you, wh- how much can you take away from Philly out of this series?
1: Oh, look, I think they've done what they've they've had to come out and do, and you know I think you know I was certainly picked that they'd sweep the series, and and nothing's really surprised me in terms of the score lines at this stage. I think you know watching the game today pretty closely, it was um you know those supporting players particularly early in the game was um it was Curry and and Danny Green that were hitting shots um, particularly from outside three, and then they'll. Joel Embiid basically was doing as he pleased. Uh, ben Simmons, he was facilitating, and then he was getting on the end of some uh, end of some ball in the paint as well. The free throws were an issue for him. I think there was um, at a point, I think it was Simmons he basically is now gone zero for ten uh, from the free throw line in the playoffs. I'll d- double check that, but it was one of the players today that hadn't made a made a free throw um, all of the way through. So. Yes, it was. Uh, it was Simmons. He hasn't. He hasn't hit a hit a free throw in this play. I think he's missed ten in a row. But Not right know, that, they were. <laughs> not really he's going to have to improve that as as they go you know you just don't want to get in one of those really important games and it become such a liability that they almost got to got to sit you but you know they, that starting five has really come together so well with Harris Green and Beat Simmons and Curry they looked almost borderline unstoppable and you know the, the Washington Wizards just simply didn't have any answers the amount of space that Curry and Green were getting and Harris as well outside um, just with the amount of uh, focus that was going on Joel Embiid in the middle. It was just opening up, you know, that, that shooting opportunities and they were, and they were nailing the three-pointer. So they shot, I think it was 51% today from three. If they can continue that, they're going to be a very hard out, uh, no matter which game it was. So it's going to come down to that supporting cast on, on the bench. And there's been some question marks about, you know, how deep they, they are. But Thibault played well today. George Hill came in and and contributed, um, Dwight Howard, I think, you know, in, in his limited minutes when he comes in and plays at uh, when he's having a rest, he, you know, he's serviceable. I think Gafford had the, the better of role in, in, at, at statues, uh, in stretches today in that second unit, but, you know, Washington are really on a hiding to nothing in this series, and, you know, Westbrook and Beale are basically doing as much as you'd almost expect them to do with their numbers across the three games, but they're, you know, as we... Basically anticipated it wasn't going to be um, too much of a, an issue, I think, for Philly to get through this this round pretty comfortably and, and probably get a few days off before they come up against their second-round opponent.
0: The biggest takeaway for me, and you, and you you mentioned it there, is if the starting five are going to shoot like that, they're, they're almost unbeatable. So Danny Green, five from nine from three, Tobias Harris, two from three, Joel Embiid three from four and Seth Curry three from six and obviously Ben Simmons does a shooter. But if you're surrounding Simmons with shooters, you know that, that that's sort of what we wanted to see. So if those guys can continue to shoot like that, or Embiid's been so dominant in the paint, yeah, th- their starting five is arguably you know as good as any starting five in the whole in the whole NBA, obviously Brooklyn Nets would probably have something to say about that. But I think they they just complement each other so well. The defense is really good. It's been it's been really good to see Ben Simmons pushing the pace every time he gets the ball or gets a rebound. He's sprinting up the up the floor. He's not sort of jogging up and he, and he's putting the, the defense under a lot of pressure. So if Simmons can continue to do that, Embiid could we you know, I think it was you I think you said you we might see some shacklock numbers out of Embiid uh throughout this series and he's probably just sort of been toying with him, to be honest. He had He's had 30 points 22 and a career high thirty six today. So, yeah, what did he play today? He only played the, the twenty-seven minutes. So he could, if he's if he's if his minutes stretched right up, he, he would have been in the mid forties quite comfortably today. So he's in great form. The shooters are knocking down the shots. Ben Simmons playing elite defense along with Matisse Thybul, and he's pushing the pace. So yeah, it's obviously hard to to take too much out of this series for Phil and gauge sort of where Philly are going to sit because Washington are are an eight seed and they deserve an eight seed because that's they've been up and down throughout the season. But you know Philly have done everything you could you you could hope for, and you know they're going to go into the next series uh, chock full of confidence.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and so they should. And you know I think they've they've done everything they would have been expected to do here. And you know as I said, depending on the length of that that next series with Atlanta and and New York, they might get it. Yeah, quite, a, quite a break here if they can um, take care of business in Game 4, which I, I would expect them to do.
0: Yeah, it'd be staggered if they don't. So we'll move on to the next series, which is the second seed of Brooklyn Nets versus the seventh seed of Boston Celtics. Uh, we spoke about Game 1 last week, which uh, Brooklyn won 104-93. Uh they come away with a 130-108 game two victory and, and it was uh Kevin Durant had 26 points, eight rebounds and five assists. Joe Harris was outstanding in, in game two. He had twenty-five points and hit seven from ten from three. Uh, and James Harden was just just basically jogging around and had a 25 and 7 game. Uh for the Boston Celtics, it was Marcus Smart who who uh, backed up his good game one with 19 points and six assists, and Kemba Walker had 17 points and seven assists. And after game two, I think everybody was predicting a sweep. It looked like the Brooklyn Nets were just far, far too good for Boston, and Jason Tatum hadn't really come to play in the first two games. And then he, he certainly turned up in the second game and led Boston to a 125-119 win. He had 50 points, six rebounds and seven assists. He shot 16 of 30 from the field, including 13 of 15 from the free throw line. He was the the third youngest player in NBA history with the 50-point playoff games. He was 40 days older than Rick Barry and only 20 days older than uh, Michael Jordan, so some obviously some really elite company there to have a 50-point game. Um, he was backed up by Marcus Smart, who's had a really good series. He had the 23 points and 6 assists, and the Brooklyn Nets uh, had outstanding games from both Kevin Durant and James Harden. Durant had 39 points, 9 rebounds, and James Harden had 41 points, 7 rebounds, and 10 assists. Now, after that game, Caddy, is there anything, is there any way you can see Boston getting into this series? Obviously you're not going to expect Jason Tatum to add 50, 50 points. Do you think they can make any any series of this, anything out of this series? Do you, or do you think it's basically a foregone conclusion that Brooklyn will just get back on track and win the next two?
1: Oh, look, I'd be surprised if Boston can, you know, replicate that effort again, really, in, in the series. I mean, when you look, I was watching the start of this game and pretty much switched it off after about five minutes. Brooklyn were out to a 19-4 lead and it was like, this is just a joke, they're, they're far too good. And then it wasn't until I was, you know, I think the other game was on and you could see the scores in, in the corner of the screen. I thought, hang on, I think they're starting to come back here and then you know I tuned into the into the second half and and which was really the the Jason Tatum show so you know he, he's almost going to have to replicate those type of numbers to continue into the series but I just think you know that might have been the, the one game that Boston potentially we're going to win I think I picked Brooklyn to, to sweep the series so that, that that's even a surprise that they're able to get a game um, against this pretty awesome uh, Brooklyn team. But it did show that Brooklyn were, were hu- human. You know, they got pretty good numbers off, really good numbers out of Durant and Harden, you know, 80 points between the two of those guys. Kyrie was the the player that probably struggled particularly from from a shooting point of view in this one. Um, and also Joe Harris had a, had a really poor shooting night as well. So, look, they got pretty good support. You know, Marcus Smart's been the guy, I think, in this series that's been able to to definitely step up and, and take on the challenge. You know, we, we sort of question who is going to be able to, to come in and help Tatum, and, you know, Kemba Walker's been hit or miss. He did get a, a pretty important shot down the stretch in this one, but three of 14 and zero from seven from three isn't going to cut it um, moving forward. But, um, you know, all credit to the Celtics, and when I spoke about the Clippers being one of the one of the more um, resilient, you know, really hard-nosed wins I'd seen, well, I'd put this Celtics uh, one right there with it because they look Devon Berry, as I said, 19-4 to 4 to come out of the gate. Uh, Brooklyn with you know, a 2-0 advantage in the series. It just looked like it was going to be all over. But, you know, they, they fought back in and by quarter time, they, they hit the front by a point, which was just outstanding. And um, all credit to them. I just think, you know, Brooklyn overall is, you know, we I expect just to be too good and, and should be able to take care of business in the next game.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Full credit to Boston. As you said there, once once Brooklyn jumped out to that big lead, similar to the Clippers, they could have easily rolled over. And it's a bit different scenario even to the Clippers, because the Clippers are expected to challenge for the title where nobody really expects Boston to. They've obviously had an injury to Jalen Brown. So they could be an excuse for just basically, oh we're gone, we'll we'll roll over. But to the credit to their credit they didn't. Is there any look? Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to find something here to talk about, Caddy. Do, do you think there's any concern that Brooklyn would lose a game with Durant having 39 and James Harden having 41? When you look at their bench, they haven't been getting a lot out of the bench. Game one, they had they only had 11 points off the bench, and game three, they only had 11 points off the bench again. So. You know, Claxton, Tyler Johnson, Landry Shamet, Bruce Brown are the guys that come off the bench. Now I understand Jeff Green was out injured uh, in Game 3 and, and he could be out for up to 10 days. He'd be reevaluated, sorry, in 10 days, so he could be out for a little bit longer. But is there a little bit of a, a question mark over the depth around Brooklyn or do you think that, you know, it's as simple as the big three? You, you mentioned there Corey Ky- Irving only shot 35% from the field. Is it as simple as if the big three play to anywhere near their capabilities, they're just going to be too good for most teams? Well, I think
1: if they all play to their capabilities, you said, if there is one that has an off night, you know, and you, you mentioned that that lack of depth on the bench, uh, particularly without Jeff Green, it, it potentially could be a problem. But I think it's going to be a problem in this particular series. But as they go through, they're going to be playing a rampage Milwaukee Nets into the next series, and that's going to be absolutely no pushover. It's going to be a bloody hard series, and they're going to need more bench production. And you know, we're talking about. You know, outside of Jeff Green, these big three guys being fully fit. You know, in the event one of them does have to miss a game here or there through the playoffs, and you know, they're, they're, the margin for error just gets, um, you know, that that's that much smaller. So I think in this game, we, you know, they they were, you know, Joe Harris and in particular had a really quiet game. They're not getting a huge amount of offensive production out of Blake Griffin. So yeah, look, there there, there is a concern from that point of view. But you're gonna, you you know, in this series, Boston are particularly going to be relying on Jason Tatum pretty much having to score 50 points in in each of these games. Um, and they'd have to win, you know, another three of them to do it. I just think it's a task too big and Brooklyn really should, you know, win these next two games and sail through to the second round.
0: Yeah, I, I'd I'd be staggered if they don't win the next two games. Yeah, it's I agree. I'm just, I was trying to maybe pick a hole in them, but yeah, if Joe Harris has even a an average shooting game, and, and obviously Kyrie Irving does as well, that they get across the line despite the fact Jason Tatum had an all time game uh, with fifty points. So it should be should be relatively smooth sailing for for Brooklyn for the, for the remainder of the two games. Now, now you mentioned the rampage in Milwaukee, Bucks, So we'll talk about that that series now with a. The third seed Milwaukee Bucks versus the sixth seed of Miami Heat. Now, I've got to eat some humble pie here, Caddy. I'd banged on for two weeks about how Milwaukee had done the wrong thing about beating Miami late in the season. They should have lost that game and avoided Miami because I thought it was going to be a really difficult series. Been approved anything but that, didn't it? So we spoke last week about game one, about how tight that was, and I think once Milwaukee won that game one in overtime, it took a little bit of a monkey off their back. A bit of pressure uh, come off, and and they just played fantastic basketball for the next three games. They won game two 132 to 132-98, so an absolute thumping. Giannis had 31, 13, and 6. Bryn Forbes come off the bench with 22 points, hitting 6 six from 9 from 3. Drew Holiday had 11, 7, and 15 assists. And incredibly, uh, Milwaukee were 22 from 53 from 3, so they put up 53 uh, shots from 3 and hit 22, of them, which, which is an incredible rate. Miami, and this this proves how bad a game there was, their leading scorer was Dwayne Dedman, who they picked up late in the season from Sacramento Kings, and he was struggling to get a, get minutes with them. So he had 19 points, 9 rebounds, and Dragic had 18 points as well. Game 3, you're expecting the first game at home for Miami that they would bounce back strongly, but they weren't able to do so. Again, it was another thumping. Milwaukee one thirteen to 84 so Miami Heat just absolutely struggling to put the ball in the basket. Giannis had 17-17-5. Uh, Chris Middleton had 22 points, eight rebounds and five assists. And Drew Holiday had 19 points and 12 assists. For for the Heat, Butler had a a half-decent game, if you want to be kind, 19 points, eight rebounds and six assists. And Bam Adebayo, who'd struggled through the first two games, had 17 points, eight rebounds and four assists. And we saw game four early this morning. Now, Miami... Uh, they came to play at least in in this game. They were actually up 64-57 at halftime, but in the third quarter they were outscored by thirteen points. And Milwaukee ended uh, running away with the game, a really comfortable win one twenty to one hundred and three. And uh, they had contributors right across the board. Giannis had twenty points, twelve rebounds, and five assists. Middleton continued his great form with twenty points, eleven rebounds, and three assists. Brook Lopez had twenty five points. Interestingly, didn't didn't attempt a three pointer. Now we've you know, we've, we've seen Brook Lopez grow into a stretch five, but to see him go back to his roots and, and play more around the basket was was really interesting, I thought, from a Milwaukee perspective. And he also had the eight rebounds. Britton Forbes, again, uh, had the 22 points, hit seven and four from three. And Drew Holiday had 11 points, six rebounds, nine assists and four steals. Uh, and for Miami Heat, uh, Bam Adebayo had his best game in the series with the 20 points, 14 rebounds and four assists. Kendrick Nunn had eighteen points off the bench, and Butler had an inefficient twelve points, ten rebounds, and ten assists. Now, this has been for me, Caddy, and I—I I don't, I'm not sure what your sentiments are. Milwaukee, Milwaukee have been far away the most impressive team so far in the playoffs. To be able to steamroll a Miami Heat team, who, yes, you know, had an up and down. Uh, season, and we probably all got fooled into what we saw last year in the playoffs. But, but they closed the year pretty strongly. I think they were eight and three in their last eleven a game in their last eleven games. So they came in with momentum, and they've just been absolutely slammed by Milwaukee. How impressive do you think Milwaukee have been? And does that has that elevated Milwaukee to to that sort of top tier for you in championship contenders? Oh,
1: look, they're ultra ultra impressive. And I'm sort of a bit shitty on myself because I sort of fell into that trap, particularly after game one of, of you know I was. Pretty bullish heading into the series initially that they'd take care of business pretty comfortably. And was, you were, you were. Probably, I'll give
0: you that. We, you definitely were.
1: We had one of our probably only rare disagreements where I probably thought that uh, I, I didn't care too much that I think there was that game, you know, towards the end. If they'd you know lost to Miami, they may not have had to play them and all this sort of stuff. But I think Gianna, Gianna summed it up pretty well after winning the game today. He Basically said, "There's a saying that don't play with your food." We didn't want to play with our food, so that's a sort of a bit of a double meaning there. I think in terms of you know not having to. You know, look at the, the standings and try and manufacture something. They were just there to go and play every game on its merit and they, they had ultra confidence in themselves that they were gonna be able to get through any, you know, any potential first one first round series and they that certainly proved to be the case. So no, I I'm definitely impressed with them. You know, obviously they had that, that scare in game one where we all thought, Oh, hang on, you know, Miami's legitimate here but, you know, they fell away really quickly and really pr- probably really disappointingly because um you know, they just couldn't quite get their rotation right. They, I don't think even towards the end of the year, they knew what their best or well, their closing five or their starting five was going to be. Yeah, they were pretty much all over the, all over the shop. And, um, you know, they, they've got a pretty interesting off-season, I think, coming up now, Miami, to work out, you know, their best path forward because that was a pretty disappointing exit. You know, I, I didn't expect them to win the series by any means, but, you know, to go out in a sweep, um I, I think would wouldn't have been their expectation heading into it. But from the Milwaukee side, yeah, absolutely outstanding performance. And, you know, right down the, the first five or six plays in a really ultra high production. We spoke about Bryn Forbes in the X Factor podcast for me being the guy that, you know, potentially could step up and give them some really Really good bench support offensively. And Bobby Portis is the other guy that's come to the party in in these first four games as well in in 17 minutes a game, averaging the 10.5 rebounds. So he's been able to give them some really good support. The the disappointing thing for for all Milwaukee fans will be the injury to Dante DiVincenzo, who's going to miss the rest of the playoffs, which is, a, you know, I know his, his stats don't particularly, you know, read that well when you're looking at them. But he, he's a really high-energy, great athlete uh, guy on this team, and I think he will be missed, and um, they'll need to find another avenue there, particularly on a perimeter defensive um, position. So whether that could be Pat Connaughton, uh, whether PJ Tucker's going to have to come in and play a more more in, increased role, um, or whether they might have to find some minutes for Jeff Teague at some point. But, um, yeah, he's going to be a big loss for them, uh, but they'll they'll get some time now to, to sit back and watch the end of this Boston and um, Brooklyn series and see, obviously, who they're going to play and then and hopefully rest up and, and get ready to take take on who we expect to be Brooklyn. And um, that's going to be just a fascinating series. And watching, you know, those first few games of, of both, and you know, you'd, you'd be pretty brave to be back against uh, Milwaukee even at this point.
0: He certainly would be, and yeah, Devin Mancinelli is a bit of an underrated out. He was a valued member caddy of the pink fantasy team right throughout the playoffs until I like mm-hmm. Derry kicked at him right at the end of the season. But uh, yeah, his numbers don't jump off the page. But he he's been a he's started I think every game that he's played this year. Connerton started today in his place, so it's gonna be. It's not gonna be you know, an injury that, that knocks them out of championship uh, contention, but it's gonna make gonna make it a little bit more difficult and they're gonna have to rely on some guys that they probably didn't think that they might have to. But when you glance at their roster, and I think that the biggest upgrade we've seen uh, this year to last year, obviously the most obvious one is Drew Holiday coming in in, in replace of Eric Bledslow, who who just continued to lay egg after egg in the playoffs for Milwaukee. You know, he, this this series he averages 15 points a game, 6.8 rebounds and 9.8 assists. So that's something that they never got out of Bledslow. He plays a great defense. As I, I think he had the four steals, I, I think I said today. So he hounds on the defensive end and just he just orchestrates on the offensive end for them. And you mentioned the fact that Bryn Forbes and Bobby Portis had come off the off the bench and given them some value, valuable contributions. So Bryn Forbes averaged 15 points a game in this series and shot 48% from three, and you, and you mentioned that, Portis averaged that nearly eleven points a game, five point three rebounds. Now you compare those two guys there to who they came come who they had coming off the bench in last year's playoffs. They had Cole Corver and Marvin Williams, who were both retired and out of the league, so they were obviously on their last legs and gave the the Bucks absolutely nothing. And and they're actually getting something off the bench now out of Forbes and Portis and obviously also now PJ Tucker, who's not going to put up you know big numbers, but he's going to defend his ass off. He's going to hit that corner three when needed. So I think that's been you know, the, the biggest difference between this year and last year, both Giannis and Middleton had really good series, you know, that you'd expect out of, out, of, out of those two guys, but the fact that Holiday's, you know, been a huge upgrade over Bledsoe, and the fact that Forbes and Portis and PJ Tucker is such a massive upgrade over Cole Corver and Marvin Williams has, has been the real difference for me. On the Miami end of things, it's, you said there, it's a, it's a really disappointing end, end to, the, to the season for them, but it's... You know, if we're being truthful, it's been a disappointing season. Uh, right throughout that you know they've had they've had interruptions that, that you know they've really struggled to get their best five out out on the court for any you know lengthy period of time. I know you had Tyler Hero in your fantasy team caddy right throughout the year, and we really it was really frustrated with you know his lack of availability right throughout the season. Butler missed a lot of games at the start of the year. You know, drugge was out for long periods of time, but they just never really got going. And as I said, I think we all got seduced by how good they were in the bubble playoffs. But if you look at the way the guys played in this series compared to last year's playoffs, well, it's no wonder they got swept. So let's look at Jimmy Butler. This this series against Milwaukee, he averaged 14.5 points a game, 7.5 rebounds and 7 assists. Now, those numbers seem reasonable, but he shot 29% from the field, 26% from three and 72% from the line. Bam out of bio, 15, 15.5 points a game, nine point three rebounds, four point three assists. Only the forty five percent from from the field. So those two guys were outstanding in last year's playoffs. Very disappointing in this year's playoffs. Tyler Hero, who came, who had a breakout uh, playoffs last year. I think he averaged close to seventeen points a game. In this series, nine point three points a game, shot thirty one percent from the field. Obviously, well below what he produced last season. Duncan Robinson, ten point three points a game, only shot thirty seven percent from three. And Goran Dragic, sixteen points a game, uh, two point eight assists. Well down on what he produced last year. So when you look at those numbers there, it's no surprise that uh, that they were very disappointing throughout this series. And as you said, they've got a really interesting off season. They've got uh, Duncan Robinson's a free agent. We we've seen shooters on the open market uh, on the open market. Sorry, demand really large fees. Davis Bertans, who's you know, a bit of a similar player, I suppose. And Robinson got a huge pay packet from the Wizards last season. So if a team comes out and offers fifteen to twenty million for Duncan Robinson, other Heat happy to pay up there. Same with Kendrick Nunn. He's a free. He's a free agent this year. I saw some numbers bandied around during the week about fifteen million a year for Kendrick Nunn, and uh, uh Miami going to be happy to pay that. I wouldn't have thought so. They've also got uh, Goran Dragic has a nine point four uh, million dollar team option. And Iguodala is a fifteen million dollar team option. So, and they've also got the uh, you know the elephant in the room, I guess, if you want to say it, of Victor Oladipo, who who they traded for uh, late in the season. It was sort of lauded that they only had to give up Kelly Olynyk and Bradley and a draft pick. Well, Kelly Olynyk would have been very handy for them in this series. Obviously, wouldn't have swung it, but he certainly would have been very handy for them. Now, now he's a free agent, Oladipo. You know, are happy to to pay up for him? Who knows what he's going to command on the open market? So. What do you think Miami are going to do in the off-season, Caddy? As I said, there's some rumours about Kawhi Leonard. Perhaps if the Clippers are, are bow out early, whether he might be able to go to Miami. Can, can you see them happy to stump up for Robertson and Nunn and and Dragic and Inigo Dalla and run it back? Or do you think Pat Riley is going to try and sort of maybe clean, have a bit of a clean slate here and try and get someone else in to help these guys? Because if you look at what they produced in this series, it looks like they're quite a bit off, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it's gonna be the latter. I think they'll they'll clean it out and and, and aim for that third starter. They've obviously got Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo on the significant contracts, they've still got Hero on the rookie contract. So I think they'll they'll you know clean out the rest of the, the cap if they can. Oladipo, they'll let him walk, same as Dragic, Iguodala, you know, Trevor Reza was a really disappointing you know player in these playoffs as well he, he ended up uh, you know only averaging I think it was the 20 minutes or so because they just pretty much couldn't lose 24 minutes and they just couldn't really play him in the end average the 4.8 points on 30 percent shooting so he's you
0: know, just he's got way past else. he's way past being a contributor for a playoff team Trevor Reza isn't he which is
1: why also surprising though were sort of relying on him so much. And, you know, they brought in Bayelita, um during the trade period or by it as well, just didn't play. Um, so he's a he's a, obviously going to be a free agent as well. So they've got the opportunity to clean it out. And I think what Pat Rowley will do is, is aim for that third star, whoever that may be, because they, they've they got the cap space to do it um, if they let most of these guys walk. And I think they fell in the trap, you know, four or five years ago, of, you know, signing the, the guys like Olenek and, um, you know, Hassan Whiteside at the time. To Dion be, Waiters. Be con- on waiters, so they, you know, they've done that before. They've pl- paid the role players, but I think this time around, I think he'll go down the other path and, and just try and find a third starter, put with Butler, at Adebayo, um and then hope for continued improvement out of Tyler Hero.
0: Let's hope that that is the path he goes down because yeah, each D- and, and Nigel and, and and as you said, overpaying these role players isn't the way to go. They've they've done that in the past and hopefully they've learned from their mistakes. So I am interested to see what they do and, and I hope that uh, as a Miami fan caddy that they do go that that ladder route and try to get a another third whether it's a star or or just somebody that's got a bit more offensive. Uh, game than, than the guys are running out at the moment. So we'll move on to the last series in the Eats, which which is the 4-5 series, the Atlanta Hawks versus uh sorry, the New York, which is a four seed versus the Atlanta Hawks. Uh so game one, the Atlanta Hawks come away with a 107-105 uh win. We saw uh Trey Young had an outstanding game. He had 32.7 rebounds and 10 assists, including the game-winning floater uh to get Atlanta that win. Bogdanovich chipped in with 18 points. Uh, new york had an outstanding game off the bench from alex burks who had 27 point points on nine from 13 from the field and derek rose had 17 five and five game two a lot of pressure on new york at the garden the garden had been rocking in game one and 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 continued to do so in game two so they they come out and bounce back with a 101 to 92 win derek rose again outstanding he's his uh, playoff resume you know, continues to grow and just his experience, you can see, has, uh, has been a, a real important uh, cog for this New York through these first three games. He had the 26 points, uh, twenty six points, 4 rebounds and 4 assists. Julius Randle had a very inefficient 15, 12 and 4. Uh, Trey Young was outstanding again with the 30 points and 7 assists and Bogdanovich chipped in again with the 18 points. Uh, we saw Game 3... Uh, first uh, game at, at, in Atlanta and the crowd were, were going nuts as you'd expect. It was a 105-94 win for the Atlanta Hawks, capped, capped by a 22-3 second quarter run which basically put the game at arm's length for uh, for, for Atlanta and New York couldn't get their way back into it. Uh, Trey Young had the 21 points and 14 assists. Bogdanovich chipped in with the 15 points. John Collins finally had a decent game with 14 points and they got 13 points from Capella and 12 points from Gallinari off the bench. Uh, New York... Uh, had uh, Derrick Rose who was finally injected into the starting lineup in pro- in place of Alfred Payton, who didn't play a minute. Now, I for the life of me can't understand why the hell Alfred Alfred Payton was playing these first, you know, sort of six minutes of every game. Uh, maybe you might be able to explain that to me, Caddy, being a being a Chicago supporter. I know Thibs used to do that back in the day uh, at Chicago. Um, who, who was it he used to do that with? With Chicago? Ah.
1: Uh... There was a guy. I'll I will find it. But yeah, you keep talking. I'll um, I will pull it up because there was a guy who used to start, and he just yeah played six minutes, and that was about it. <laughs>
0: it's it's an unusual. I don't know why he does it, but it's, it's obviously uh some sort of reason behind it. But Rose was outstanding when he started. He had the 30, 30 points a game, six rebounds, of five assists, and Julius Randle again another inefficient fourteen points uh and eleven rebounds. So. You know, as I said there, Atlanta's taken the 2-1 lead. I think the biggest story for me is just been the star matchup. Now, uh, Trey Young has, has been outstanding. He's averaging 27.7 points a game, the three rebounds and the 10 assists. Uh, his shooting splits are, are really good, the 48, 48, 43, and 94. They really can't stop him from getting into the paint. He's getting into the paint and hitting those little floaters that, that he's outstanding at, or he's kicking out uh, to the shooters, and that's why he's averaging the, the 10 assists. And then conversely, you go over to New York and look at their all-star and the guy that we expect is going to be either a second or third team All-NBA player. And Julius Randle's averaging the 14.7 points a game, 11.7 rebounds, and the 3.3 assists. Similar to Jimmy Butler, those numbers don't look horrendous, but his shooting splits at 24% from the field, 30% 30 from the three, and 85% from 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 the free throw line. He's he's, he's just been horrendous, hasn't he, Caddy? And I can't see New York having any chance at all in this series if Julius Randle just continues to play this way. He looks devoid of confidence in that first quarter of Game 3. He missed his first five shots, and the only shot he hit was a, a buzzer-beating three where he didn't have time to think about it. it was just He just caught it and shot it. I, it looks like he's too much in his head. He's either forcing it and rushing it and shooting too early, or he's, he's passing up open shots and second-guessing himself. So he's in a real hole, and, and hopefully for New York's uh, sake, he can get himself out of it. Otherwise, they're going to have absolutely no chance of getting back into the series. And Keith Bogans is a guy that popped in my Keith head Bougans, as I was Keith Bogans, I
1: was about to, just to let you know when I, when I was going to come in there. So it was Keith Bogans back in the uh, 2011 uh, season that used to get inserted there and um, play pretty limited minutes for the, for the Chicago Bulls.
0: Yeah, very unusual. Um,
1: yeah, so just yeah on on Randall, I mean, it was it's been pretty brutal to watch it, to be honest. I watched that whole game in game three in Atlanta, and he just couldn't get anything going at all. And you know he, and it's not through any lack of effort, I think on his part he's he's taken the eighteen shots a game, but yeah, it's a paltry twenty four percent from the field through three games. Um, it's just not going to get it done for the New York Knicks. and if it really wasn't for, You know, Derek Rose, going back to some of his form of yesteryear, then, you know, they'd be in a lot more trouble than what they currently are. And I know uh, Derek Rose bristles at the thought of people, you know, sort of referring... Um, you know to that that sort of stage of his career but you know he has been terrific and has been the guy that's been able to sort of release some of the pressure offensively because they're just getting nothing out of Randall and nothing out of R.J. Barrett from an efficiency you know point of view or or a shooting effectiveness point of view so Reggie Bullock's the other one that's probably struggled a little bit uh, quickly comes in and you know I think you know there could be an opportunity they'd probably need to get some more minutes into or find some more minutes into quickly because he does look like he's capable of, of scoring on this stage and they going to need some more support because, um, you know, behind a, you know, a one-off Alec Burke's game and, a, you know, Derek Rose has been terrific. They're just, you know, they need plenty more out of Julius Randle and, and R.J. Barrett in particular if they want to extend this series out because it looks at this stage that the Atlanta Hawks are, you know, and, and we you probably flagged it that they had, you know, probably too many potential stars on this lineup that we're going to be able to, you know, contribute more than what those New York guys were going to do and, you know, it's certainly been the case and, and Trey Young in particular just hasn't shied away from this moment at all. He's looked every part, you know, at, at the all-star player and, and, and you know, he's getting terrific support across the ball. DeAndre Hunt is the guy that I've been, you know, hugely impressed with without, you know, obviously being getting a chance to watch much of him this year. He's just, you know, got such great length on the defensive end and his shooting has, has been okay as well in this series. So they're getting, you know, plenty of support there for Trey Young and it's Bogdan, Bogdanovich and, you know, there's still more upside to come out of John Collins. I think he, he, he can really contribute more, particularly from a scoring point of view and, Quick the is continuing on his terrific uh, season so far.
0: Yeah, yeah, Collins is the one I'm looking at. If if uh, Atlanta really want to wrap this series up, he averaged the 17.6 points a game and 7 point re- 7.4 rebounds throughout the throughout the year. He's only averaging the eight point seven points, including zero points in game two and the five rebounds. So, as you said, there, yeah, there's plenty of upside. Uh, for Atlanta in respect to John Collins. Anyway, it's it's New York. The team they just struggled to put the ball in the basket. There was a lineup that they ran out at the start of that second quarter. I didn't write it down as I was watching, but I'm pretty sure it was Reggie Bullock, Nerlens Noel, Emmanuel Quigley, Obi Toppin, and R.J. Barrett. And they just they didn't even look like scoring. There was no there was no flow. It didn't look like they were running anything. There was just a lot of contested jumpers taken late in the shot clock, and it was just really uh, easy for Atlanta to defend. And Atlanta were able to go on a run. Luckily, it wasn't when those five guys, surprisingly, were out on the floor. But, you know, if Derek Rose uh, is off the floor, they're just looking like that. And Julius Randle, even though Julius Randle is struggling to put the ball in the basket, but I can't, I can't imagine that Thibodeau can afford to sit both Rose and Julius Randle at the same time as he did at the start of that second quarter because they're just really struggling to put the ball in the basket when those two are off the floor. So how do you see this series shaping up from here? Do you think Atlanta Atlanta, obviously in the box seat now with the, with the 2-1 lead in the next game coming up at home. If they win that, you'd imagine it's going to be very difficult for New York to win this series. Or do you think New York can scrap their way back into this series, force a Game 7 in the garden, and then, and then maybe even potentially win the series from here?
1: Yeah, look, it's well, it's going to come down to this game four, I think. I think the Knicks have to square this thing up, um, but the, it's going to have to be, you know, quite the turnaround. I think the scoreline really flattered them—the eleven-point margin the other day. They just didn't look like anywhere near the same on on the same level as the Atlanta Hawks, and it's just that lack of three-point shooting that they have. There's no one that's just a dead-eye three-point shooter for them, and when you know you've got particularly Barrett and Randall shooting so poorly, there's just nothing else out there. They went nine for thirty, and they're going to have to really turn that around if they want to. You know, get back into this series because those sort of numbers just aren't going to cut it. Um, you know, I'd I'd expect Atlanta probably to to win the next game, and then it's going to be really mightily difficult for, for the Knicks to win the last three on the trot. I think it. You know, Atlanta at this stage, I'd back them to win this in six. You know, and I, I just you look at the Knicks, and there's just no way at the start of the year they probably would have envisaged that you know Derek Rose is going to be a on their team and then b playing 39 points in a playoff game and shooting 30 points. And the other you know staggering thing is that they've basically pulled Taj Gibson out of retirement. And he's playing 26 minutes a game. And it, you he's know, bloody it it's bloody starting for him,
0: Caddy. What the hell is going on?
1: <laughs> well, you know, and obviously there's been the injury to Mitch Robinson, which we you know they they can't do anything about. But yeah, the the thing that they're relying on these guys, Rosen, Gibson, so much. Um, yeah, you know, is it, quite fascinating. But um, look, Randall's the guy, and we, we spoke about it in the preview last week. Was was he going to be able to play up to those All NBA type of type of level? And the answer's been a, a really clear no at this stage. And he just hasn't been able to make that leap into the postseason that I'm sure a he would have liked, and the, the Knicks supporters would have would have expected. But um, you know, there's still time for him to turn it around. But there's um, no time like the president's going to have to be in this, in this next game.
0: It certainly is. And I think the reason Gibson may have started, New Nerl, Noel was under a question mark with an ankle injury and he did come down awkwardly on it in that game three. So I'm assuming that would be the only reason that Gibson would be starting. But we do know Thibodeau does love his former Chicago players. I, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't actually get Joakim Noah out there to start this game, Gaddy. That, that wouldn't have shocked <laughs> me at all if he if he pulled Noah out of retirement. So are, are you tipping Atlanta in six from here? That's probably the way I'd be leaning. Yeah, I think so.
1: Look, uh, just that that... Atmosphere in that venue it was quite brutal. You know, they were right up and about the Atlanta Hawks supporters and, and fair enough too. And I, I think the way Trey Young's playing in particular, and we spoke about there's the improvement still there from guys like John Collins, I think they'll be too strong in this next game. And then, you know, hopefully New York are good enough to, to hold their home court in Game 5 and then you know Atlanta to close it out in 6.
0: So just looking now at the East, it, we'll just project a little bit forward. If you had to pick somebody right now to come out of the East, who would you be picking?
1: I'm going to stick with Philadelphia. I think there's been nothing, you know, I know they're playing at probably the most weakened um, opposition so far, but what I did see today from them really um, impressed me, particularly that starting five unit and, you know, if MB can stay, stay healthy and Simmons can continue to contribute at the level he is, I think that, for me, they might still be the team to beat in the East. And, you know, I know there'll be plenty of talk around Milwaukee now and what they've been able to do. And I'm sure, you know, when Brooklyn come through and, you know, that, that, Brooklyn-Milwaukee series is going to be just fantastic. And, um, you know, it's going to be, you know, every chance it'll go right down to the wire. And I think Philadelphia might have a much, well, we we projected they would have the easier path through. And I I think for me, they're going to be the team to to get past.
0: They're probably the most logical selection, given that they will play either New York or Atlanta in the second round. But I'm going to just go with Brooklyn. I'd that 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 next round series is gonna be an absolute cracker and I reckon whoever wins that series will win the will win the title. I think the best the best teams at the moment are in the East. Philly Philly, uh Milwaukee and uh, Brooklyn have looked more impressive to me than anybody so far in the West. So I think just Brooklyn to to win the uh that second round series against Milwaukee and then to take care of Philly. What about in the West? Is it still the Lakers for you or have you seen something out of some other team that makes you think that they might be able to get past the Lakers?
1: Oh, look, I think the Lakers probably, you know, they, they've done what, you know, so far. I mean, they're only three games into that series against Phoenix. But if they can continue on and get through as the seventh seed, you know, they're going to be the, the scariest prospect if they can continue to build fitness and build confidence as they go through. I mean, Utah's obviously the other one um, that I'd expect to potentially be there at the end. So I'd say Lakers-Utah would be my Western Conference finalists at this stage.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I think the Lakers are going to just have it it's just broken brilliantly for them, as I said, with the injury to Chris Paul earlier, um, and then they'll get either Denver or Portland. So I think it's just worked out really well. I mean, has there it, hasn't it been anybody that's been super impressive, I don't think, in the West. I mean, the Lakers, you know, they've got the job done so far, not super impressive given that Chris Paul's been limited. Uh, Utah lost game one. You know, they've, they they won today, but it wasn't absolutely convincing. You know, you could almost argue Dallas have been the most impressive team because they they've handled the Clippers in two out of three games. So I just think I'll probably go with the Lakers, but I don't think there's been absolutely anybody that's been absolutely outstanding. If you were picking somebody at the moment to win the title, would it be Philly to win it over either uh, the Lakers or Utah? Yeah, I think so. I think look, if
1: Philly can get through the East and I they you know on the path to at least get through that Eastern Conference final, they will get the home court advantage if they play say it's the Lakers. So that's going to be really important. Uh, come the pointy end if if you're thinking it's going to be a Lakers final so look I'll stick with Philly I think they're going to obviously get through this first round you know you've picked Brooklyn you know they've still got plenty of steps to to, to take to get uh, you know even into that uh, Eastern Conference Finals, is a long way for them to go. So the same with the Lakers, you know, as, as much as we think, you know, they're, they're pretty much certainty to get past Phoenix. That that's definitely hasn't happened yet. And then, you know, they, they will have to play, a, you know, a Denver Nuggets side potentially or, or Portland. Who, who isn't going to be an easy out either? So there's still work to be done uh, for both of those. But I think Philly are just going to have the easier path through collectively. And if they can have home court against the Lakers in the finals, then I'll stick with the Philly Philadelphia 76ers for, uh, to win the title.
0: Should be a very interesting next, you know, month or so to, to see how this all unfolds. So we'll call it there, Caddy. We've set a PB today for the longest episode of the run so far. Uh, thanks to everybody who continues to download this podcast. Um, as I say every week, if you if you haven't jumped jumped on Apple Podcasts, please. Uh, please do so and give us a five-star rating uh, and also jump on Facebook and like the page and we, we uh, post all the episodes there for you to listen to. Uh, we'll speak to you next week where uh, most of these second-round series uh, should be underway and it should be very intriguing uh, next week. Until then.